3, s that there was no room for them in any house in Bethlehem. It is probable that the stable in which they sought refuge was a rough cave, such as are to be found in that neighborhood now. So, let us note at the beginning that Jesus, the Savior, was born amidst the most humble surroundings, and also that when the angels came to announce his birth, they did not choose to tell the good news first to the rich and the powerful, but brought the wonderful story to the humble shepherds who watched their flocks by night on the hillside. But it was not to stop there. Remember God wanted the world to know that the kingdom of love which came with the birth of Jesus was for the high and the lowly alike. So, by the brilliant star he guided the wise men from the east to worship him and place at his feet the precious jewels and costly gifts, which show that they were men of great wealth and wisdom. So, we see, the coming of Jesus was to bring a blessing to all men. It was to be a kingdom of love which would include the whole wide world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let us remember that God gave his son to the world it was the first and greatest Christmas gift. We can never repay him for this marvelous expression of his love. All we can do is to endeavor every day of our lives to do good and thus give as best we can of the blessings which have come from him. At Christmas time we seem to have no difficulty in showing kindness to those about us. The earth is filled with his spirit so that in millions of churches and homes throughout the world today we find a reflection of the star of Bethlehem in the countless shining candles and glittering electric lights which adorn the Christmas trees. Draw candle flames and raisin orange, draw tree in green, and use brown to fill in the trunk and the foundation. This completes figure 24. Yes, everywhere that we see the sparkling candles or little electric lights, let us think of them as reflecting the light of the star of Bethlehem, to guide us to him. Just as the wise men were guided to that humble manger cradle in Bethlehem, many there are, we know, who make merry at Christmas, while shutting Jesus out of their lives, they know not the blessing of the warmth of Christian love which he brought into the world, which is for them, if they will only accept it. But let us look at our own lives and see if we are reflecting the true spirit of Christmas. Someone has said that true Christmas giving is true Christmas living living not merely at Christmas time in fellowship with all but throughout the year, with no difference in days excepting that with their succession we may grow more and more humble and faithful more like him. S.E.D.I.M.E. and harvest sowing reaping, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The lesson that the happiness or the unhappiness of middle life and old age are the result of the thoughts and deeds of early life. The teacher who can help the little children to avoid the entertainment of wrong thoughts and the teacher who can eliminate from the minds of the youth the belief that the sowing of wild oats is a harmless perhaps necessary touch of life, may feel that he has accomplished much. The teaching carries with it the necessity of supplanting wrong thoughts with right ones. The talk. Some of the great declarations of the scriptures have become so familiar to us that we speak the words and lose much of their significance. One great truth which seems to have lost its power with many is that verse in the letter of Paul to the Galatians, in which he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What does Paul mean? He means simply this, that your life and mine, like the life of the world of nature about us, has its seed time and its time of harvest that if the seed time of our early life finds us planting good thoughts, kindly deeds and loving words, the harvest of the later life will be peace and blessedness, if the seed time of life finds us sowing evil thoughts, bad deeds and ungodly words, the harvest will be remorse, bitterness and the suffering which must come from such a sowing, 
Everybody who lives 50 years or more has two looks at life, first, a forward look, and, last, a backward look. It is wise to plan in advance for the backward look by living so that the retrospect will be gratifying and satisfying and comforting, and not of a kind to bring mourning over wasted years and lost opportunities for doing good. Let us consider the lesson of nature for a moment. In the springtime the farmer plants the kernels of corn shelled from ears like this. Draw the ear of corn, making first a solid yellow background for the ear and then putting in the fine lines with brown or black. He has every reason to believe that when the harvest time comes he will reap a crop of many hundredfold, because each kernel is expected to send up a little green shoot, like this, and each stalk is capable of bearing at least one ear of corn. Quickly draw the ground line in brown and the corn shoot in green, completing figure 25, and the shoot will grow larger and larger until the stalk is completed, and as time goes on and the harvest time comes, the corn will hang in generous ears thereon with broad sweeps of green, and, if you wish, a touch of brown, complete figure 26, this includes covering part of the ear with green to form the husk, note especially this fact, that the farmer, when he plants the seed, believes that God will send the summer time, when the corn will grow to its fullness, and also the autumn, when the harvest is ready, just think what would happen if we had no summer or autumn just the springtime, do you not see that we would soon starve? We would plant the seed and there would be no harvest. Let us see how very much like this are our very own lives. We do not have a springtime and a summer and an autumn and a winter of life every year. Remember we have but one of each during our lives. If we reach old age, springtime is our childhood. Summer is our young manhood and young womanhood. Autumn is our middle age and winter comes when the hair is white and the footsteps faltering. The first part of a full life is the seed time. And the latter half is the harvest time. Some of us may think that we may, while we are young, form habits that are bad and expect to get rid of them before the harvest time. Still others of us do not seem to find out very early in life that there is a seed time and a harvest time, and we realize it only after we have reached the harvest period, and then we cannot change the character of the seed we have to reap. But that which is true of the one who has sown the seeds of wrong in his younger years is just as true of him who has sown good seeds in his childhood and youth. There is no more comforting thought than that which comes with the assurance that God will send the rich harvest if we sow early in life the seeds of purity of living and the seeds of loving kindness. The wrong thoughts which try to crowd into our childhood and youth are like the weeds which threaten to destroy the good grain, and sometimes succeed. Let us watch them carefully and approve them. The Christian welcomes the thought that there is to be a harvest time. The sinner hates the thought, he would that his entire life be a seed time, but it cannot be. The law of seed time in life is just as firmly fixed as are the seed time and harvest of nature. Let us learn the lesson. It means life or death to you and to me. The two flags rally day war both of them inspire us to the best living and illustration with music. The lesson that the same spirit which brings success in war must animate the fighters against evil. Rally day, which is observed at the opening of the autumn activities of most schools, has become one of the greatest days of the Sunday school year. It should be made a glad occasion of reunion and resolution. This talk is unique, in that it combines music with the speaking and the drawing. The talk, it was 50 years ago, boys and girls, that the terrible war between the North and the South was in progress. On both sides the soldiers were bravely loyal to their cause, for the reason that each great army believed it was right, each side rallied round its flag and loyalty was the thing most necessary, in most conflicts. 
as in the case of one nation fighting with another, it is only necessary to bring the war to a point where the weaker is convinced of the superior strength of its enemy, then the war ends and the weaker is still a nation and has lost only that which was destroyed during the course of the struggle, together with that which may be demanded as concessions by the victorious army, both nations retain their existence as before, it was not so with the struggle between the north and the south, before this terrible war could end, it was necessary that one or the other of the fighting governments be wiped out entirely as a nation, otherwise there could never have been any peace. This is what made the war one of the most terrible in the history of the world. It was a time when loyalty was demanded by both sides to the conflict, when men were summoned to a rally round their flags. On the side of the north the soldiers bravely gathered in hosts of hundreds of thousands around this flag which is now beloved throughout our reunited states while the South was just as true and brave and sincere in the belief that they were right, in their convictions, and for which they thought, as you draw the United States flag, in red, white and blue, figure 27, had the school sing the red, white and blue, or had the song sung as a solo or played by orchestra, pianist or organist, this makes a very effective feature, as some time is required to draw the flag, be careful to construct the flag properly. To save time, use only 13 stars. Why did the boys in blue rally round this flag? It was not because of its beauty. Even though we think it the handsomest flag in all the world, it was not because it was made of valuable materials. No, it was because it stood for something for liberty, for unity. And they knew that in order to uphold the principles for which it stood they must cling together and fight manfully. Each might fight bravely by himself but disaster would come unless they worked together and in harmony. We, today, are like the boys in blue in the dark days of the war. We, too, had a flag which we love dearly the banner of the cross. While you draw the conquest flag, use the song, the banner of the cross, in the same manner as before. When completed your drawing will resemble figure 28. Use blue for the body of the flag and red for the cross. This is the banner round which our school rallies today. We have come together once more to strengthen our army of boys and girls to fight against wrong. And our littlest fighters are the best fighters we have. Why? Because it is a warfare that never ends and the little ones have many more years in which to fight than the older ones have. And, strangest of all, the weapons most effective are kindness, love, prayer and steadfastness. These will drive away the great enemy of us all sin. The boys in blue rallied around their flag because it represents our country the land we love so well. We rally around this flag because it represents everything that is best here on earth and in heaven. Let us be loyal to these two beautiful banners. We cannot be true to one without being true to the other. Let us make this school year the best we ever knew. We can do it if we will be true to everything for which these two flags stand the red for love, the white for purity and the blue for loyalty. It is suggested that the pupils be presented with small American and conquest flags as souvenirs. These are inexpensive and may be procured from Sunday school supply houses. Celluloid buttons, displaying the two flags, would be acceptable souvenirs of the day. The cross salvation repentance and illustration which has inspired many to hopefulness and victory. The lesson that a complete surrender to Christ is the only successful way to purify a sinful life. This illustration, in varied form, has been used by speakers for many years. It is here given, however, in a new presentation with a hope that the revision may be helpful to others in spreading its fullness. If paper is used, attach several thicknesses to your drawing board and provide yourself with a sharp penknife. If used as a blackboard illustration, 
an eraser will be needed, the talk, it is a good deal safer, boys, for you to walk the streets with your thumb in your mouth than with a cigarette there, the thumb can't hurt you, but the cigarette is bound to, I heard, once upon a time, of a young man who lived in a good home maybe just as good as yours who fell into the cigarette habit, I can't understand why a boy, when he knows what a terrible thing the cigarette habit island will not leave the thing alone, but, like some whom you may know, this boy failed to heed the many warnings and, before he was aware of it, the deadly habit had him firmly in its grasp, I will ask one of the boys to please spell the word habit for me, as each letter is repeated put it down on the drawing sheet, if you have previously outlined the entire picture, the location of the cross will determine the location of the letter T in the center, as the T is later changed into a cross, place the other four letters in proper relation to the letter T completing figure 29, now, then one day this young man awoke to the fact that he must rid himself of his terrible habit if he would amount to anything in the world, he was working in a distant city, and there, alone, how do you suppose he started in to get rid of his habit, he did it this way, he made up his mind to wipe it out gradually by cutting down the number of cigarettes which he smoked each day, so he started in, the first day he smoked two less than he did the day before cut out some, you see, with your penknife cut out the letter H and throw it away, you will observe that although he cut out some of his habit, he had a bit left, the next day he did the same thing, by cutting out two more, cut away the letter A, although he had a bit of the habit left, he felt somewhat encouraged and declared to himself that he could cut it all out if he kept at it, but he didn't know how hard it would be to keep at it, the next day he cut out a little more cut away the letter B but the desire to smoke the deadly cigarette was still strong, he was inclined to give up in discouragement, for he had now found that cutting out wasn't cutting off and that he still had it, not until now did he feel his helplessness, for the habit was still strong upon him, he needed a friend a friend who could help him in his earnest wish to become once more true and pure, and a friend came, it was one who knew Christ and his power to save everyone who turns to him for help, clearly this friend revealed to him the truth, that if he would master his habit he must master himself, boldly he took the glad step, and, like all humble followers of Jesus, he gave himself into his loving care, to guide and to direct his life, with a step came active work for Christ, and it was then that the letter I was removed cut out the eye and a new vision burst on his sight, for the last remnant of his enemy faded away in the transformation of his life to Christian service, give the tea a touch with black, converting it into a cross, then continue the drawing to complete figure 30, use black for the hill and circle, outline the cross in red, use orange in broad strokes for the rays emanating from the cross, this was the vision, it can come to every boy and girl, it has come to countless thousands, to this boy of whom we speak it came to save him from failure and death, no longer did the dread habit control him, the battle was won, not by his own strength, but through Christ, who strengthened him, such strength will be yours every time you need it to help and to keep you, and let us think for a moment of the great service of the friend who led this young man to see the vision, are we a friend to those who need us, brethren, says Paul, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, may we ever be ready to lend a helping hand, Easter lilies Easter resurrection their introduction into America has spread perfume and beauty everywhere, the lesson that, like the lily, Christ gave up his life that his followers should multiply in the earth, it is difficult, as teachers of children are aware, 
to impart the significance of Easter to those who are too young to be acquainted with death and the hope of a resurrection. Many teachers find it best to confine the thought to the phenomena of nature as revealed in planned life and to make such applications to the spiritual as conditions seem to permit. Easter is the most precious day of the year, for without it there would be no Christmas, because Christmas is celebrated only as the birthday of him who arose from the dead. Without it, the world would be in the darkness of despair and disappointment which possessed the disciples as they turned from the cross to resume their former occupations or to hide themselves from the taunts of their tormentors. Hence, we must make the best possible use of it. This illustration possesses no new thought, in fact. There is nothing new except as we put into it the newness of our own enthusiasm and earnestness. The talk. On this beautiful Easter morning I want to tell you of a lady who has done a good deal to help us enjoy this day. But for her, I believe, we would not have had any of these lovely lilies which represent the purity of the life of the risen Savior. I do not know the name of this lady, but I do know that one day she stepped from a steamer at a wharf in her home city of Philadelphia, and that she had been on a visit to the Bermuda Islands, which are 600 miles out in the Atlantic Ocean. Perhaps you know that the Bermuda Islands are noted as the place where they raise very large onions, which are imported to the United States. An onion, you know, is a bulb. Well, this lady carried with her two bulbs. They weren't Bermuda onions, either, as they were too small for that. She took these two bulbs to a friend who was a florist and asked him to plant them. Draw the bulb in black. Figure 31. This was in the year 1875. The bulbs soon sent up strong green shoots and after a while blossomed as beautifully in their strange surroundings as they would have done in their former home. Complete the drawing of the lily stalk in green, also the lilies, using fine black lines as outlines. To us these beautiful flowers seem like old friends, because we have known them so long. But these Easter lilies, blossoming in Philadelphia, were the first to spread their sweet perfume in this country. Before that time, there was a lily known as the Easter lily but whose right name is the Lilium Candidum or Madonna Lily. This latter name comes from the fact that in one of the paintings of the Madonna she holds one of these lilies in her hand. It, also, is pure white, and similar in form to the Easter Lily of today except that it is more bell-shaped. During the first four years, these two bulbs in Philadelphia produced 100 new bulbs, but what had become of the original bulbs? Ah, don't you know that when the bulb produces new bulbs the original bulb dies? Yes. When the new bulbs form at the sides of the old bulb, the one which gave them life perishes in fact. The first bulb gives up its life that the others may live. Draw the outer bulbs as in figure 32. And while it does so, it spreads the perfume and the beauty of its flowers to delight everyone who sees them. From these first bulbs brought to America has come much of the beauty which is now so widespread at Easter time. The earth is full of the perfume of the Easter lily today. How typical is this little illustration of the Savior whose resurrection we celebrate today? While he was on the earth, the beauty of his life brightened everyone, and all that time he knew that he must give up his life that we might live. How typical also of our lives may this Easter lily be? What seems more lifeless than the bulb of a lily? Plant it, bury it, and lo, it is resurrected into a thing of wondrous beauty. That which seemed like its tomb has proven to be the gateway into true life. Thus our faith gives us the blessed assurance, with Paul, that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. The wounded tree steadfastness constancy it tells the story of courage and patience that approaches the sublime. 
The lesson that steadfastness in the right not only keeps the life upright but it restores the repentant one to righteousness. Each one of us needs the quality called steadfastness not the obstinacy which denies us the right to judge fairly every condition about us. Not the bigotry which prevents us from a charitable consideration of the views of other people but the steady adherence to positive Christian principles which keep us constant in our faith and in wavering in our hold on heavenly virtues. The talk. Today. We are going to talk about steadfastness. And what does it mean to be steadfast? It means that with God's love to protect us against every temptation, we shall never willingly do anything to grieve Him. A life ruled by this power may grow to be so truly in harmony with the spirit of the Master that even though the waves of trouble dash wildly against it, it will continue to stand firmly, because it knows that Jehovah will give grace and glory and no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. We shall turn to nature for our object lesson today. We might select the mighty oak, the king of the trees, to represent the stalwart Christian life which not only withstands the storms, but which, as it strives against the winds, sends its mighty roots ever deeper into the earth, and we might choose as the type of the weak and sinful life the bay tree which does not send its roots deep into the earth and which is in danger of being torn away by every passing storm. But we shall look not at these but at two other trees which are described by Julia Ellen Rogers in her beautiful book, Among the Trees, says this author. There is something almost sublime in the patience and courage of plants. Doesn't that sound strange? The idea of claiming that plants are courageous and patient. But the writer goes on to prove her words. One tree of which she writes was thrown prostrate upon the ground, crushed down by another tree which fell upon it. There it lay, with some of its roots torn loose from the earth and drying in the heat of the sun. It was left there in the forest to die. As you speak, draw step of figure 33. The writer tells also of a small poplar tree which grew on the sloping side of a mountain. One day, when there was a heavy landslide, the rush of boulders and earth tore the tree from its place and carried it a considerable distance down the side of the mountain. When it stopped sliding, it was left with its top downward, while its roots were lifted toward the sky. Draw step B of figure 33. In the rush of the earth, a quantity of soil was spread over a part of the roots. If anyone had seen the tree then, he would have declared that it must surely die. But let us turn again to the book. The writer says, A tree thrown down may die of its wounds, but if it does not die it seeks to assume an erect position. As long as there is life, there is inspiration, and, we might add, a reaching upward. Do you get the idea? Even if a tree is thrown down, wounded near to its death, it tries its best to arise, to arise again to stand upright. This truth is shown by what these two trees did. This first one sent an entirely new tree straight up from the roots, while the old part lay on the ground dead. Add lines to complete step seal figure 34. The second one was so determined to grow that it sent out a little sprout and started it to climb straight upward toward the sky, it developed into a strong tree. Draw lines to complete step deal figure 34, this finishes the drawing. What a splendid lesson there is for us in these true stories from the forest and the mountain. Perhaps, in our weakness. We have not lived as closely to the Master as we should have done, and have become prostrate by our temptations. But there is one mighty to save. It is for us to reach upward in thought, in word and deed. Then will come the sunshine of His loving kindness to give us strength to arise toward Him. The tree, wounded and cast down, can never return to its first condition, but it does its best to arise. We, if we be prostrate by sin, can never rise to be as perfect as we would have been if we had shunned the evil thing, 
but in humility and service we may rise to receive the Master's well done, and we may be assured of His tender care if we do our best. Let us ever keep our thoughts on Him who is able to succor them that are tempted. A firm foundation Lincoln's birthday fortitude the secret of Lincoln's steadfastness in the midst of tremendous trials. The lesson that the Bible teaching of childhood fortifies manhood. If it is not your custom to observe Lincoln's birthday, you will find this illustration valuable for Mother's Day and other occasions. The talk. Probably no public man in America has ever been so severely assailed, so mercilessly scourged through the public press, as was Abraham Lincoln. Yet, through it all, while thousands were dying on the field of battle, while pestilence and want stalked through the states, and while the finger of hatred and scorn was pointed at him as the man who had brought devastation and death upon the nation, he stood steadfast, with a firm, an impassioned face, never swerving an inch from the path of right and duty, warring factions all about him, who tried in many ways to sidetrack him, failed in every attempt, to them he said, let us have faith that right makes might, and in that faith let us do our duty as we understand it, in his memorable second inaugural address, he said, with malice toward none, with charity to all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us finish the work, in those tumultuous times, he often seemed to stand almost alone, like a lighthouse away out from the rock-bound coast, lashed by the fierce waves, driven by furious winds, draw the lighthouse in brown and the waves in blue, completing figure 35, but the fiercest storms never moved our human lighthouse, nor did the light which was to finally guide the ship of state into a safe and peaceful harbor fail to send out its clear, pure rays. The lighthouse which we have drawn must stand upon a firm and solid foundation to endure the force of the storm. Abraham Lincoln must have stood upon a firm and solid foundation in order to endure the fierce storms of the darkest years of the nation's history. Let us see what this foundation was made of. We must go away back to the early days of his life until we come, in 1816 to a little cabin in Gentryville, Indiana a one-room log cabin with a dirt floor and with no glass in the windows. Here lived Thomas Lincoln and his wife and two children, Sarah, aged ten years, and Abraham, eight years old. They had recently come from Kentucky. Although Thomas Lincoln could neither read nor write, the mother taught her children to read the one book which they had, a Bible. The sweetness of the character of this gentle mother was reflected in the lives of her children, for three or four months. Abraham managed to attend the rude school of the neighborhood. He soon learned to know much of the Bible by heart. When he was ten years of age, the greatest calamity of his life occurred. His mother, always frail and delicate, passed from earth. Abraham Lincoln never recovered from the shock. The rude casket was placed in a grave near the cabin. Nine months after that sad day, Parson Elkins, whom the family had known in Kentucky, answered the repeated appeal of Abraham to come 100 miles on horseback to preach a funeral sermon at the grave of Mrs. Lincoln. Many years afterward, when the cares of state weighed heavily upon him, President Lincoln spoke the words which tell us the secret of his wonderful calmness and steadfastness. Listen to them, all that I am and all that I hope to be. I owe to my mother, blessings on her memory. Do you understand, boys and girls? that it was the thing which this mother put into the life of her boy that made him a great and a good man. Do you now understand what Paul meant when he said that there is no other foundation on which to build your life than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ? Let us, then place the word, Christ, upon this rock, the unseen foundation upon which this great life stood so steadfastly. 
I leave with you the picture as a memory of the secret of a wonderful life. Draw lines of rock and lower portion of the lighthouse, add the word, Christ. Completing figure 36. The blessedness of work labor diligence the truly happy life is the one filled with honest employment. The lesson that in childhood and youth we should train ourselves to a work. Work is the keynote of the successful life. An idle brain is the devil's workshop. The talk is designed to catch the attention with a smile and then give an opportunity to present some valuable thoughts in the matter of diligence and the fulfillment of life's mission through honorable employment of the mind and the hands. The talk. Very often we read some very curious things. The manufacturer of one of the well-known breakfast foods has placed this strange statement on the outside of each of the packages. Tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. It seems impossible to do this. And the writer of the words probably had an entirely different way of explaining how he would do it from the way we will demonstrate it here on the drawing paper today. Let us suppose that we make the statement that we can tell what a man is if we know what he eats. All right. Then, here is a case. There is a certain man who eats three meals a day out of a dish shaped something like this. Draw lines representing step one of figure 37. And then, let us suppose that the food he eats is heaped up like this. Add lines to change the drawing to step two. Now, what do you think this food is? Ice cream? Uh, Mumber because when I tell you that this is steam rising from the food you will know it isn't ice cream. Add lines to change the drawing to.